Hello, everyone. Welcome to Wealth Builders, presented by State and Walsh. We kick off 2023 discussing the recently passed Secure Act 2.0. In this episode, we review the establishment of the original Secure Act and how this new legislation expands the law in the areas of retirement savings. The second version of the Act also brings many new financial planning opportunities in 2023 and beyond. If you find this content valuable, be sure to like and subscribe. We hope you enjoy the show. This is Wealth Builders, presented by Staten Walsh, a show designed to pull back the curtain of the financial industry and bring true transparency to the forefront of conversation. On the show, we cover topics like financial education, current events, and interview business leaders and industry experts with the ultimate goal of helping listeners discover their own path to financial independence. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Wealth Builders. Happy New Year, Ryan. It's 2023. It's hard to believe. It is It is hard to believe, and we are starting today talking about the Secure Act 2.0. I mean, I feel like 1.0 just came out. People don't even know what that is, but here's 2.0. So let's talk about like what it is and what what does it mean to individuals and businesses. And so, can you give us like a little brief overview of what the Secure Act is and like what should we should be looking for? Yeah. So yeah, like you mentioned, if you're not familiar with what the Secure Act is in general, in 2019, the Setting Every Community Up for Retirement Enhancement Act, which is a, the government loves their acronyms, but it was a law that was passed, and and I think ultimately the goal was to help improve retirement savings for. Americans. Over the past 40 plus years, companies have moved away from pensions and guaranteed retirement vehicles and, and shifted into this world of now the employees are responsible for saving for their own retirement. And the, the inception of 401ks and all the other different types of accounts that have come to fruition over the years, I think have made retirement saving just more complicated for most Americans. And so the idea was that this new act would be responsible for helping improve that. And so the original, the 1.0 in 2019, created different types of retirement plans available for employers, created some tax credits to incentivize smaller employers to start offering plans to their employees. It also aimed to help people who are working later into you know, working into later years. So RMDs are required minimum distributions used to be required at age 70 and a half. Now they're age 72 with the new rule. We'll kind of unpack that, how that gets pushed back over time. But Basically, to sum it all up, Secure Act 1.0 was ultimately designed to help small businesses and their employees save for retirement. There's been different iterations of this rule and how they're trying to create more retirement savings for Americans, and some have worked, some have not. And so 2.0 is really just an expansion of that. So uh, let's talk about some of the things that it does, you know, like the context and reason behind this, because as we know, 2019, what, three years ago, now we're at 2.0. So, you know, we've talked about the RMDs. So what are some of the other 
you know, give us some more context and some of the things that are actually going to affect not only businesses, but individuals, you know, like for example, RMDs, you know, is going back, you know, you can contribute to traditional 401k and IRA further. So let's talk about that a little bit, Ryan. Yeah. So RMDs are a big one. That's one that will start to take effect immediately and then phase in over time. And so I mentioned that the old rules were 70 and a half, the secure act, the first iteration expanded that to age 72. Now what's going to happen is they're going to continue to push the RMD age back and eventually land on age 75. The reason they did that, I think many Americans were either still working into their 70s or maybe were taking other forms of retirement income and trying to delay their collection of 401k or IRA assets. So, you know, what this law has done has allowed people more flexibility for sure, and especially in terms of taxable accounts or 401ks that are going to be taxed as income in retirement. But there are always going to be trade offs, right? I mean, ultimately, the government is saying that we'll allow you to keep your money in the account and accumulate for more years but we're going to take from somewhere else or we're going to do something somewhere else to ensure that we still get our revenues from these types of accounts. And so um, one of the other major changes of this law was that if someone passed away with a retirement account, instead of the ability to take it out incrementally for the rest of the beneficiary's life, any non-spouse beneficiary, you are now required to distribute that account over the course of 10 years, which accelerates the collection of that tax revenue in comparison to a lifetime stretch scenario which was what the form rule was. So that, you know, that's one trade-off. I think, you know, talking about the positives of this, the tax credits to employers who don't currently offer 401k plans or retirement plans are expanded. And there's also an introduction to help young people that have student loan debt burdens to still save for retirement. So there's some special credits and offsets that businesses can provide to their employees that traditionally have been forced to say, I either want to make more student loan payments and not save for retirement until later. Now they have the ability to do both because employers have a form of a match that they can provide based on the amount of money that employees are paying towards student loans. And I know one of the main things that we do in our business, Ryan, is, you know, we manage, you know, corporate retirement plans like 401ks and we always hear about MEPS, mm-hmm. you know, it's a hot topic in the world to kind of bring a bunch of small plans together, get better pricing. So explain us to what MEP is, what that means, some of that in this new Secure Act and how it's going to help some of these small businesses, you know, plan, help their employees plan for retirement, helps them in recruiting probably. Um, you know, bringing on new employees that might have been a cost burden before, might not be able to get the the plan as cheap as a company might have a yeah. ten plus million dollar plan. So let's talk about that a little more for the benefits of these MEPS, which is the multiple employer plan yeah. inside the Secure Act. Another lovely acronym. How many yeah. we're do? How many we're going to do today? How many acronyms lot, do you think? Five, ten, twenty. We'll 30? have to put a key in the show notes <laughs> so that everyone understands what all these acronyms mean. But yeah, as you mentioned, a MEP is a multiple employer plan, and so these were created as a result of many small businesses stating that 401ks were just too expensive to provide. And so through various tax credits and and other things, the Secure Act really aimed to open that world up. MEPS were born out of the idea that multiple employers could now pull their plan together. And so essentially take the assets of 10, 15, 20, up to 50, even potentially more, allow them to all participate in a retirement plan, but get pulled pricing based on the value of everyone's plan together. And the idea behind this is for a small 
small plan, uh, traditionally in the pricing of a 401k, small plans are more expensive, less assets to charge against. Now this gives those plans the ability to launch and get access to a lower entry point from a fee perspective. And so in theory, you know, they're they're a, a great tool that can be used if someone's looking to offer a plan, kind of a plug and play scenario where you have similar plan provisions as others. You know, we can kind of plug into that, have a master account registration, still have, you know, our own individual 401k plan of sorts but get better pricing like we are a larger organization. So I think that's the ultimate benefit is potential cost savings. Doesn't mean that maps are perfect for every business and every small small company. Uh, there are still other types of retirement plans out there that could be more cost effective or could make sense. So it's still a case by case basis, but I, de I definitely think the rules were designed to open the door for companies that wanted a traditional 401k plan, but thought maybe they couldn't afford it or they thought the fees were too high to now get access to something. So how can how will these changes impact individual business? Like what's the timeline? Is it, like, is it January 1st, 2023? Great. It's all comes to effect. Is that true? Is it is it coming out over a period of time? Yeah. So how will these changes impact both individual businesses? Because a lot of this stuff is critical. Yeah. You know, we're talking about the individuals, you know, the RMD rules, you know, being able to contribute their retirement plans longer and these businesses, these tax credits. Like, is this stuff people can take advantage of now? Is it being rolled out over 6, 12, 13, 24, whatever months it may be? What's that timeline look like? Yeah, so I, a lot of these features will actually take place between now and you know 2028 and some beyond. So there are some phase phase ins or you know the, some feathering in of sorts of different provisions. But I think long term, you know, if we just want to cover this at a high level, and we we could maybe even take some time at a later date to to pick apart this thing really in detail. But at a high level, the primary changes are going to be access and availability to retirement plans, provisions like auto enrollment that will incentivize and motivate employees to start participating in plans. Um, you're also going to see things like changes and potential changes in Social Security and Medicare and some of those provisions that'll be cost savings or potential changes in, in payroll tax caps. Again, probably highly technical items that we don't need to unpack today. But one of the biggest things will be incentivizing employees to save more money for their own retirement, not at the expense of you know paying for healthcare or paying for student loans or essentially eliminating the idea that there's a choice that needs to be made here. You need to save or pay for one versus the other. Now, this, you know, this new law, is designed to give options and allow people the ability to do multiple things at once, which I think is beneficial. I think there's still more, it probably adds a, a touch more complexity to the scenario now, which any legislation tends to do, especially new legislation. But I think that at its core, it's really supposed to be designed for people who are, are trying to give themselves a more secure retirement. So are there any disadvantages? A lot of times things come out and people might not trust the government or is like, what is, are there any disadvantages to any part of the Secure Act 2.0? I know, I know one of the things we talk a lot about is auto enrollment and plan and how we're big fans of it. But I feel like sure. some people might be like, oh, what do you mean? They will just take my money out in there, but we're, we're, you can actually stop that. You're not, you're not required to it forever, but is there anything people should look out for that might be a disadvantage for them? I or think disadvantages always come in a lack of understanding. Anytime you try to create some kind of universal standard or law around any topic, it all there's always some gray area, wiggle room, whatever you want to call it. But there's 
you know, everything is not necessarily black and white in terms of how it will affect into each individual person. And I think because this is new, some of these provisions do take effect immediately. Some will happen over time. And so there will be some time for interpretation and other you know, review of the law to figure out how it is going to affect certain people. I think the biggest thing to understand if you're a retirement plan participant today is that you know, auto enrollment features will be a requirement of some form, whether it's in the plan or some kind of state level retirement account. And so any company that has you know an automatic payroll system will be enrolling their employees in some form of retirement account plan, et cetera. And so as an employee, one of the things that you're going to have to pay attention to is you know, those notices that you get in the mail. I know we're all guilty of it. We get tons of disclosure documents and mailings. It'll be very important over the next year, year and beyond to really read those and pay attention to what they're telling. A lot of these things will, you'll still have the flexibility to opt out of certain provisions, but you're going to have to take the initiative to do that yourself. Is that something that's hard to do, Ryan? Is that something that's going like their online portal? Is that something they're going through HR for? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's relatively easy. I think if you have direct access online to a 401k, you know, let's just use this in the context of a 401k plan, for example, you know, you log into your website, you go on there and you have a deferral option, you know, money I'm putting into my plan at some percentage or dollar amount out of every paycheck. The easy way to opt out of that is you just either select the option, the opt out box that's provided to you, or you can just change those contributions to zero. Um, if that, if you truly wanted to not participate in any way, it would be really easy to do. It's just, it's going to require that extra step of you going in and doing it. If you do nothing, and you take the passive approach, ultimately you're gonna be enrolled in a plan at some minimum entry threshold. And those, you know, those contributions will be deducted from your paycheck. Which we want. Everybody needs yeah, to save more. It's definitely a good thing. It's, you know, 2023 yeah. is the year of saving, I think. It's, cer it's, it's certainly not a bad thing. I think it's just, again, people's, the disadvantages with things like this come, like I said before, through a lack of understanding. Having a full understanding of this, and, and this is why it's important too, to you know have direct communication with your HR department, with financial advisors, CPAs, other professionals that you work with, to make sure that you're planning, that you're doing at whatever level that that may be is centered around whatever the laws and 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 things that exist out there whether it's tax law laws like this you know legal with estate planning and you have to constantly review these things because the law does change all the time and you know this this is no exception and so having an understanding that part of us doing this episode today is really to bring to light at least at a high level what changes are now going to exist or are going to be affected over the next several years uh, but more importantly to bring attention to something that kind of got lost in the holiday news cycle, quite honestly. And so we want to make sure that we bring it to the forefront of people's minds. And as they're cracking through New Year's resolutions and trying to figure out what they want to do financially, keeping in mind that some of their planning may have changed, not just in terms of how much extra they want to save or how they want to invest or what their goals are, but the law has also changed. And so how you utilize different types of savings plans and strategies will also change with that. So I know you found a really great graphic from Michael Kitsis, who is probably one of the industry leaders and in just knowledge and education for financial advisors. So we'll definitely put that in the show notes. Make sure you take a look at that. Anything else kind of closing up, Ryan, just like finishing up anything else with the Secure Act 2.0 everyone listening should, should know about, want to take advantage of. And as always, if you have questions, don't hesitate to reach out to us, call us, text us, email us, whatever it may be. We're here to answer any questions. I know a lot of times it can be confusing. Whether you are, are an individual or a business owner, there's great opportunities for you to 
take advantage of the Secure Act 2.0. Yeah, I think if I were just to recap at a high level, primary changes that we're focused on today, auto enrollment features coming down the line, requirements of that coming for many employers. So if you don't have a plan or you do have one that doesn't include that, that's a big piece of the puzzle. In the individual marketplace, you know, some things that we didn't talk about are Roth options, which are new as part of this, where some types of retirement accounts traditionally had not offered a Roth option. For example, a simple IRA, which commonly used by small employers with, you know, let's say a dozen employees or a handful of employees that didn't want a traditional 401k. Before, you know, a traditional option was the only option. And when we say traditional, we mean pre-tax. You get a tax deduction for putting the money into the account, but when it comes out, it's treated as taxable income. Now, Roth options will be available in accounts that traditionally didn't have that option. So that's I, I, that's huge, Ryan, because I'm yeah, thinking about now. Yeah. So a lot of people who are high earners, they could utilize in their 401k, the Roth option. Now, is it going to be the same in simple one step accounts like that, where it doesn't matter what your income is compared to like something like a Roth? Are they still able high earners who might not traditionally qualify for Roth? Are they still able to take advantage of that Roth option like they would if it was a 401k Roth option? Yeah. So, I mean, the interpretation as of today is yes, uh, you know, it won't be income limited. It will, it will still be annual contribution limit. Those limits will still apply, but yes, it would be treated in the same way. And so I think ultimately it gives more options for employees, depending on what type of account you have through the, through your employer, you know, in the same vein of, you know, talking about tax taxes and different tax treatment, you know, the RMD age will be pushed back to 73 immediately. I think that's valuable for those that want to continue to work or maybe don't need the money. They can continue to defer that and not necessarily pay taxes on that. That could be a good or a bad thing. Remains to be seen. Tax all will inevitably probably change again. It's guaranteed to change. No, you think so? Yeah. So hey, things change all the time. This, you know, this is no exception. So, you know, some other benefits will be, you know, on the, in the arena of RMD, there used to be a penalty for not taking the appropriate RMD of 50%. Um, now that will be reduced to 25%. So I think one of the big things with new laws is that they can be confusing and there's a lot of things to unpack. One you know thing I will, I will give Congress is that that particular provision at least helps. I don't think that it helps completely, but in the confusion of not understanding when an RMD should be taken or, you know, for folks that don't work with other professionals and are doing it on their own, they did cut that penalty in half. Now, and we'd like to see a, a system where we can do away with that altogether, but ultimately that is a benefit of this. There will also be additional catch-up contributions and retirement accounts that will be expanded from their normal limits today. You know, a couple others that we can touch on quickly utilizing retirement funds to make charitable contributions, qualified charitable distributions, a good way to take pre-tax money and donate it on a tax advantage basis. That will be expanded and adjusted for inflation. So will catch up contributions. So a lot of moving parts here, a lot of it generally retirement focused. I think the big one that we didn't talk about yet, and then I'll just touch on briefly, um, and then we can wrap this thing up and maybe you know we'll have a 2.0 episode of our 2.0 episode. But <laughs> the idea of 529 plans and utilization just for college. And in the event that a child doesn't utilize that money for college education, that has now changed. There is going to be an option in the future of any unused 529 accounts could be converted to Roth IRAs for the beneficiaries. There are going to be some, some rules around that and some things to navigate, but that is a good way to make sure that money doesn't go wasted. Or, you know, in some cases we've seen real world examples of money doesn't get used for college. Family doesn't have any more children 
and, and then they end up cashing it out, paying taxes, penalties, and et cetera. So for that Roth IRA option, Ryan, does that go to the, the child? It's the way it reads currently. It's for the beneficiary of the account. So okay. it won't be for the grantor or the parent that's making the, the deposit into the account. It's not a, this is not a tax play for a parent utilizing their child's account. This will be for the benefit of the child at some point. And, and it'll, it'll still have to look and feel like a traditional Roth IRA contribution, but there is some time before that actually, you know, that's one of those provisions that's getting feathered in over time. And so, I mean, that, that is huge. So I just think about, let's say a child, they don't go to college to get a scholarship. They never use that money. They can still use up to $10,000 of that for their first home. So that now it gives it much start, more yeah. flexible and, and just see that it's more in place. I've, I've noticed over the last few years, people weren't as thrilled for 529 plans just because of things like that. They might want to open up other accounts for their children. For now, if yeah. they don't use that, that's 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 a, it's a great provision in this plan. Definitely something we want to incorporate in our planning and kind of spread the message about. Yeah, that's a result of a lot of different things. But I think, you know, student loan reform has been a topic of conversation. Some people are unsure about what that looks like long term. You know, what do we have, have to actually save for college? But I think in you know, back to the, the topic of the SECURE Act, what this does is any unused money does not go to waste. You know, it can be used to kickstart retirement for your children. It can be used to kickstart, you know, the use of that money for other things, like you mentioned. You know, there are other ways you can use Roth IRA money before retirement. And so it is certainly, it, it's just, again, back to the beginning when I said flexibility, I think is the key of this, this whole thing is you now have many different options where for a very long time, there are have been not necessarily limited options, but I think there has been a, a rigid nature to retirement planning and retirement accounts in general. And the world is starting to open up a little bit more. It's starting to become more flexible. There's a lot of different reasons why that is, but this is a legislative step, I think, in some cases in the right direction. And ultimately, it'll be up to you know the listeners out there and clients and partners. to. It's going to take some time to educate the masses on this. And I think get everyone up to speed to, to figure out, you know, how does this work for us? How do we use Use this to our advantage potentially, and and what if, what benefits will happen, or what benefits will be realized for me in the context of this Secure Act 2.0 framework that maybe weren't available to me before. Oh, good stuff. So I know there was a ton of information today on the Secure Act 2.0. So I, we know it's confusion. There's a lot of information there. We're here for anybody who has questions, but we're going to do all kinds of information about this. We're going to have some visuals for you. We're going to do a blog post around it. We'll have this podcast coming out. It's all going to come out around the same time. So make sure you take a look at it all. And answer. if any questions you have, don't hesitate to reach out. But thank you, as always, for listening to Wealth Builders today. We appreciate all of you. And if you like the episode, make sure you like and subscribe and look forward to the next one. Thanks, everybody. See you next time.